and welcome to episode lucky number 21 of Expected Value, the podcast that goes inside the sports analytics world. I'm Paul Carr from True Media, and obviously the sports world and the world as a whole have undergone a lot of changes since our last show a couple weeks ago with the spread of coronavirus and such. And just as an example of how quickly things changed, a quick story. So last week, my colleague Joe Wagoner and I were down in Florida making True Media's annual spring training pilgrimage to visit with our MLB team clients. And it was remarkable to see how quickly everything changed just between Monday and Wednesday. So Monday was pretty much business as usual, visiting teams. Tuesday, we're being kept away from clubhouses a little bit. One team's front desk was asking visitors questions about recent international travel and such. Wednesday, we met with one team outside on a patio just to stay away from the clubhouse and the offices. And then, of course, everything blew up Wednesday night with the NBA suspending its season, the positive tests from Rudy Gobert, Tom Hanks, among others, and so much more. So our meetings were understandably canceled the rest of the week. We flew home early Thursday, uh, postponed our Arizona trip as well. Um, All that to say, you know, there's obviously a lot going on in the world. We at True Media understand sports isn't remotely the most important thing right now. So we hope that everyone stays safe and healthy during this time and that this podcast can maybe provide a brief respite from what we're all dealing with at various levels. So our guest this week is Sheil Kapadia, NFL writer for The Athletic. Sheil was writing for ESPN back when I was there, and he's long been very effective at mixing data and journalism and being willing to learn as more and better numbers are available. So at the NFL Combine last month, we talked about his career path in sports journalism, how he used to track data manually early in his career, how he uses analytics in writing, the evolution of NFL data availability, how teams are using numbers well, and advice for those looking to enter the sports media world. Then Albert Lakata will join me to react and wrap things up. Without further ado, here's the expected value conversation with the Athletics Shield Capadia. All right, we're joined now on Expected Value by Shiel Kapadia, NFL writer for The Athletic. We are at the NFL Combine, so you're going to hear some noise as people wander by through to their various meetings and such. So, Shiel, let's start with where we are right now. What's the NFL Combine like for you as a reporter? Yeah, it's really making the rounds, seeing people you don't see throughout the year, uh, shaking hands, catching up, and then, of course, they have the GMs and the coaches talking and uh, scouts, other people are around. So really, it's a lot of uh, reintroducing yourself to people and then some meetings here and there and that kind of thing. A lot of walking up and down the halls of uh, the Skywalk and all these hotels that connect each other in Indianapolis. Yeah, it's fun. Who you're going to run into, you never know who you're going to see, all that sort of stuff. So let's go back to kind of how you got into this business, and then we'll progress to how you use analytics and things along those lines. As you're a kid, you're growing up, what kind of pushed you toward media world and sports journalism? Yeah, I was just sports obsessed. I mean, I was, I'm sure like many of the listeners and you, you know, growing up, just watching, playing, reading, listening, anything, uh, all the sports in in Philadelphia. So um, as I got to high school, I had to make a decision on what I was going to do. And uh, the other four members of my family all have worked in a hospital or work in a hospital. I knew I wasn't going down that that road. So uh, science wasn't really my thing. So really, I went to college thinking, how can I get into sports? It wasn't, I want to get into media. I want to be a writer. It was, how can I work in sports and uh, media seemed like a good avenue for that I was a you know decent writer I wasn't a great writer but I thought I could make my way through radio and writing and all that different types of things and uh, do sports media all right so then what's been you know, the quick overview of your path I know you've been in Baltimore and Seattle and Philadelphia so as you got to where you are now uh, NFL writer for the athletic 
in Philadelphia? What's the career arc been? Yeah, so I went to uh, college at, at Penn State and majored in journalism, and I was doing the college newspaper, the college radio station, doing internships, all those different things. And then I uh, graduated and was looking for a job and couldn't find one. So uh, I took a job actually that was not in journalism, and I was there for three days in Center City, Philadelphia. And then a company called me back. It was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, called PennLive.com, and they said they had a job. And so uh, shortest job you can have, I guess, three days. I was in and out of that first one moved there, it was kind of like a sports producer job. So you're working on an online website, how can you grow traffic, um, all that types of things. It was kind of in the early stages of you know online journalism. So I was blogging about Penn State football. Uh, from there, I went to the Baltimore Sun, similar deal, was working on the online desk, uh, blogged about the NFL, blogged about fantasy football. From there, went to Philly.com. Again, similar thing. I was a sports editor there and uh, writing about the Eagles and the NFL. At that point, I decided I wanted to write full-time, and the opportunity wasn't really there at Philly.com. And so me and a friend of mine, Tim McManus, who now works for ESPN, uh, we started a site with Philadelphia Magazine called Birds 24-7. It was just a two-person shop. You know, They were trying it out. They were trying to get kind of a male audience, and uh, we just wrote about the Eagles every day of the year, uh, and it, we built up a nice audience and it worked out really well so that was a great job we did that for three years ESPN called they had openings in Seattle and Pittsburgh and uh, my sisters live in Portland Oregon and so we decided you know what the Seahawks are coming off two Super Bowl appearances uh, the kids aren't old enough to be in school yet let's go take the plunge so we went to Seattle had a great two years there then the athletic calls, they're starting up back in Philly. Kids are getting older. Parents are back east. And uh, we decided to uh, kind of come back. And so I covered the Eagles full-time for two years. And then this last year moved to a national role where right about the NFL and the Eagles. That's a long story, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It's, I think it's good for, it's good for me, for, good for people just to hear, like, what does the path look like? What are the options? How can you get to you know these places you might want to get to? So I want to talk about how you use data and analytics in your writing because i think you're pretty good at incorporating it in a good amount without you're not overwhelming but you're supporting the story so what is your general approach to using i'll just say data because that could be simple stats it could be advanced stats what's your general approach to using data in your writing well, it's so funny. When I first started writing about the Eagles, I mean, none of this stuff was available. And I remember Mike Reese, he wrote for the, uh, I think, the Boston Globe at the time. And I would read his columns, and he had all these numbers in them. And so I just cold emailed him, and I said, like, where are you getting all these? And he's like, I tracked them myself, re-watching games. And so I said, I got to start doing that. So creating spreadsheets on Mondays, looking at personnel grouping, snap counts, all those different types of things. And then it evolved, and now all this stuff is more available. So uh, I like, you know whether it's checking theories that I have, looking at different personnel groupings, looking at how a team is in the red zone. I mean, all these conversations that you have around sports and somebody tries to make a point, I mean, a lot of them you can check. Is that legit or is it not legit? So uh, I really find it valuable and I think readers find it valuable. So I'm curious about uh, the early days. You said you're tracking, you mentioned personnel groupings. Mike Sandoz talked about similar stuff he used to do. What else I'm just curious, what else you track manually? Like, where do you start when there's you know nothing you're working from at that time? Where do you start as far as what you're keeping track of? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing was snap counts, honestly. It was because you have, you know, whether it's a defensive line, eight-man rotation, you don't know how much each guy's playing, that kind of thing. I tracked... Um, Blitz, you know, how often did they blitz, how they perform, how the other team perform, um, that type of thing, personnel groupings, 
we mentioned. I think those were definitely some of the big ones. But you know, you just kind of have, have the spreadsheet. I'm not. I wasn't great at Excel. I'm still not great at Excel. But my wife is pretty good. And I remember there was a reader who volunteered to help. So he's sending me these these spreadsheets that I can use uh, throughout. But I think those were some of the main things. And then also uh, quarterback play. You know, quarterback play when you're covering the NFL, it's going to be a big deal. So uh, how often was the throw from the pocket, outside the pocket, short, middle, deep? How many drops? So you know, what was his actual completion percentage. I, I definitely got into doing all of those. I remember when Michael Vick was with the Eagles, I did kind of a weekly analytical piece on Michael Vick that people seem to like. So and then you've touched on this a little bit. How have you seen data availability for you as a journalist change in your you know 15 plus years covering the league? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, I remember then pro football focus, I think, started doing the snap count. So I would, you know, look at those. And then when I certainly when I went to ESPN, I was using uh, true media. I mean, really every post I wrote on the Seahawks, unless it was like a real feature or a Q&A or something, anything I was doing that was uh, uh, analysis. I did a piece, I think, every Tuesday, just looking back at the past game and yards before con, you know, all these things that fans might be interested in. And so that, you know, you could just look up everything. I mean, that was really a goal mind to me and um, now I still again you can just pretty much everything you can look up I don't think I track uh, much on my own anymore at all <laughs> yeah so I guess that sort of answer was going to be my next question is how do, does the data availability the analytics whatever how does that make your job easier and better I guess as much as anything it's a time saver right Huge time saver. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, this went with the uh, All-22 film being released. So now instead of, you know, having to rewatch games and chart stuff, I usually am spending my Monday, Tuesday watching that and trying to do uh, analysis there as well. But, yeah, it's just been an incredible time saver. And, you know, there are some jobs, uh, NFL writers, who don't have access to a, a true media or something else that they can really uh, look that stuff up. And, uh, you know, for me, that would just be really difficult because of how much I lean on it in a lot of my articles how do you figure out this is something i battled when writing about numbers how do you figure out when enough is enough finding that balance between you know you have all these numbers and they might all be really great but you don't want to just read like a spreadsheet you try and do add the other layers of reporting whether it's talking to people or the writing in general how do you figure out and find that balance of when enough is enough from kind of a data standpoint yeah, I think the pieces I'm generally most happy with combines a few elements. Uh, if it's analysis, it's here are the X's and O's. You know, maybe this was the route concept or the coverage or whatever. Then it's the numbers, all right? You know, this is why it was really important. This is how they performed in this personnel grouping, whatever it may be. And then it's the reporting. It might be a coach. It might be an offensive lineman. Someone explaining, well, you know, this is actually what happened. Um, you know, I saw the safety do this. So, I, you know, that type of thing. So I definitely think it enhances the product when you can combine all those different types of things I probably do you know you said uh, overdo I probably do overdo it sometimes to be quite honest because uh, I am just a, a numbers guy and especially now I transition to this role covering the whole league you know you're not I'm not watching the film of every team every week so you kind of look at stuff you try to report stuff and then you look at the numbers and weave it all together what sort of feedback do you get I mean on the athletic you have a good comment section you've got editors giving feedback what's the feedback and response you get from people as you, you know, you, you just use a lot of numbers and, and use them more than most. And I don't say that as a bad thing. It's just that's your writing style. What sort of feedback do you get from people on that? I think people really like it. I mean, anytime you're doing, a, I think, a piece of uh, analysis and you can kind of and you can kind of uh, 
explain things to the reader, whether it's through interviews, through, uh, you know, film study, through data, whatever the case may be. They don't want you to just say something. Hey, this guy, this guy sucks. This guy was terrible. I mean, everybody watches the game now. You know, so many fans are watching the press conferences and the locker room interviews. So you really all right, What can I give them that they're not going to find elsewhere? That's especially true with The Athletic when it's a subscription model. If I'm writing something that other people are writing, um, then what's the point of subscribing? So I think they've really taken to it and they seem to really like the data analysis. I'm curious about the Eagles. They're one of the more publicly kind of prominent analytics teams, and so you covering them. I guess how open have you found them about the way they use numbers? What have you learned from them about how they do it? Yeah, I wouldn't say they're terribly open in the way they do it. They're pretty open in the fact that they want to be known as a data-driven organization. You know, I did a piece with Jeffrey Lurie um, last uh, off-season where I had a long interview with him, and uh, he was all about it. He's been about it for a long time. He believes in the data. He believes in a lot of the things, um, you know, that I guess analytics Twitter would say about, you know, pa- passing's better than running, and, you know, don't don't run into stacked boxes, and, uh, you know, don't spend a lot of money on certain positions, those types of things. He actually really believes in, and he, he really gets annoyed. He was honest about this when announced talk about establishing the run and uh, you know that's the reason that this team's losing he kind of rolls his eyes so that's sort of unique for you know the older guard of NFL owner or general manager or whatever it may be so um, I think it really does start with the ownership a lot of times you know you have to invest resources in it you have to convince sometimes the head coach the GM that hey this is what we want to do and I think the Eagles are a pretty good example. You know, Doug Peterson wasn't a big analytics guy, but they talked to him before that Super Bowl season and said, listen, the number, this, the, we should be very aggressive on fourth down. And you saw that year, even in the Super Bowl against the Patriots, that his fourth down aggressiveness really paid off and he bought into it. So you mentioned analytics Twitter, which, uh, you know, and you had a smile when you said it, and I understand what you're saying. Analytics Twitter, broadly speaking, is kind of on one extreme of doing everything analytically. Coaches are sometimes on the other extreme of, we'll just say, old-fashioned. And you're somewhere kind of in between because you're working with both of these groups. So what is that like trying to balance and get the views? Mike Sando talked about this a little bit when we talked to him about you're trying to get the views of both sides. What is that like as a journalist trying to almost juggle these two at the extremes, two very different worlds? Yeah, I definitely don't, uh, you know, I'm not on the extreme of, you know, call I do you know if a coach is conservative or I think they should have gone for it uh, I will say that but I do try to balance it and yesterday they had an event at the combine called the big data bowl where you know it, it was just very analytics driven and I was just sitting there thinking man if you know Pete Carroll was sitting in this uh, in this audience right now I think his his head might explode so I, th- I think you need that um, I don't know if it's a conduit or what the right word is but if you're a team and you have an analytics staff and you have a coaching staff I feel like you you know you might need a position uh, like a role in your organization that says I understand I can explain what they're saying in English to you I can explain what he's saying in English to you and let's come together and try to find the best way to do these types of things because otherwise it just I think forms a combative relationship people are talking over each other and ultimately it's going to be the coach's call yeah those almost a translator of sorts is is a good role sometimes the QC coach I think sometimes it's yeah a translator or an analytics person but I think you're right having that person who can I don't know, speak both languages in a way, I think is pretty useful. And what sort of trends have you seen in the way teams in general, since you're covering the league, are hiring people in the analytics field, whether it's somebody like that, whether it's just expanding? What are you seeing the way teams are doing? 
Yeah, well, I did a story uh, last year on the Ravens and John Harbaugh and how aggressive he was uh, on fourth down. And I really think the coach's open-mindedness is, is really important. I mean, I, if you look at the numbers, I think like five years ago, Harbaugh wasn't doing that. But they talked about it as an organization. Uh, he wanted the best information from everywhere. They've hired a lot of analytics people. He's listening to them. He's still making the call. But, uh, you know, it sounds very simple, but that's really what it is. I mean, is the coach open to all these different types of things, or do they say, you know, I've been doing it this way for a while. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to be results-oriented, not process-oriented. I mean, that can really backfire. You listen to the analytics person, you go for it on a fourth down or whatever the case may be. You don't get it. Everyone's yelling at you the next day. I mean, that's really, if you look at last year, that happened to John Harbaugh early in the season. They lose to the Chiefs. He's getting roasted left and right. And uh, But then if you follow it throughout the whole season, he said, we're not not changing and it ended up really paying off yeah he had good interviews all season about the analytics and the Chiefs one specifically I live in Kansas so I was kind of in the middle of that I just thought he explained it well he's like look this is our philosophy this is what we're doing it might not work and I just impressed by his healthy perspective on everything and, and like I said he really just grasps uh, he gets it the whole big picture thing which it seems it's not rare but it's he's kind of in the vanguard on that front yeah and and like i said you know he i asked him fly i said you know were you like a math guy a stats guy growing up and he, and he said no i'm an in, i i like to think i'm an information guy which i thought was a a good answer you know if, if somebody else came in with a different perspective that was not analytics driven that he thought was a smart idea then he would be open to that too so uh, i just think the more the coaches can be open to these different types of things obviously it helps when it team has success you know where there was the Eagles the Super Bowl season the Ravens last year you're seeing the league-wide trends in terms of um, fourth down aggressiveness went to punt went to kick a field goal those types of things uh, it does seem like a lot of the teams are making more informed decisions now I want to ask a couple questions about advice you give to really students or anyone really looking to get kind of into the we'll say sports media world just in general for someone who, hey, I want to go to college, major in journalism or media or whatever it might be. What's your general advice for someone who says, I want to do, you know, what you do basically? I think the big thing is to just like jump into it, you know, whether it's joining the college paper or intern, like internships are so important. I mean, you can't, it's like anything else. You can't get good at it unless you have reps and keep practicing it. So you can't get to your senior year and say, Hey, I want to work at uh, ESPN. All right. Well, what have you done so, so far? Well, I just, if you just majored in journalism, that's not going to be good enough. So uh, I really think that's the biggest thing. You have to be patient at times. You might take jobs that uh, aren't ideal, but maybe they teach you a different skill set. Um, learn different things, whether it's audio, video, writing, all those different types of things. Read a lot. I mean, you know, it, it's amazing how much the people you read kind of influence your own writing and, and can really help you. So um, those are some of the things I generally lean on. And then thinking about it from a stats or analytics angle, uh, what might a student do? Is it a good idea to not major in stats necessarily, but take some stats classes? Or what would you kind of do because it seems like the numbers are the way journalism, at least part of it, is trending in the sports world. What would you tell a student who wants to figure out how to get that part into the education or the preparation process? I think you have to be into it, first of all. You know, if, you're, if you just want to be a writer and, you know, analytics, stats, numbers aren't really your thing, you're probably going to be wasting your time because you're not going to be able to explain it. But if you are into it, like I look at myself, I, if I could go back, I would have loved to do that, learn more um, about the actual math and statistics, even like different fields, you know, like the behavioral economics field. I'm, re you know, just read a book called Super Forecasting and did a, an article on it. And I'm like, wow, I, I wish I would have like learned about this when I was in college. So I definitely think that stuff can help whether you want to work for a TV
team or you just want to be you know an analytics savvy writer uh, it's not going to hurt and if you're into it like I said then you'll just be excited about it it's not going to feel like a chore like you're taking on another minor or, or whatever the case may be all right we're going to wrap things up with our playing favorite segment we're going to start what's your favorite number or maybe a lucky number that you have I was thinking about this. I think I would probably say three. I was a big uh, Allen Iverson fan growing up in, in Philadelphia, so I do remember there was a period where, you know, whatever uh, sports team I played on, I was asking for the number three, so I'll go with that. All right, so who's your, who's your favorite player growing up, any sport? Was it Iverson? Do you have another favorite growing up as a kid? It was actually my, my first love was baseball, and so it was actually Mike Schmidt. I mean, yeah. th th you know, this is when I was like six, seven, eight years old, so really early. Uh, baseball was my first love, and, yeah, I think he was definitely looking back at the stu all of the stuff my mom has saved from my early days. I was definitely writing about Mike Schmidt a lot in uh, my first and second grade classes. Love it. As someone who grew up around Kansas City in George Brett and Mike Schmidt time, can definitely appreciate the love for the all-time great third baseman. Okay, uh, favorite game that you have attended? Could be as a fan, could be as a professional. Favorite game that you've been to? I think it would have to be the, the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl. I mean, I had never, never covered a Super Bowl before, so it was really a career highlight, and that game was incredible. You know, you had Brady throwing for over 500 yards. You had the Philly special. You had the big sack fumble at the end. And so, uh, yeah, that, that was an experience all that, that's going to be very tough to top, I would say. A second place, which wasn't the same caliber, but the Seahawks played at the Patriots when I was at ESPN. And this was when, I mean, you had Hall of Famers on Brady, Gronkowski, Russell Wilson, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancer. I could go on and on. And it was an incredible game. Uh, I think it was a Sunday nighter that came down to the end where Cam Chancer broke up a pass to Gronkowski uh, in the end zone. So that's kind of always an underrated one that I have in my mind that was a lot of fun to cover. I like it. I like it. And finally, uh, favorite how did I get here moment. And by that, I mean one of those things sometimes early in your career, where you just kind of look around and you're like, man, this is pretty cool. And you can kind of soak in just for a moment kind of what you've gotten or where you've gotten to professionally. Yeah, there are a lot of those. I mean, you definitely have a lot of luck uh, along the way. You can get all the advice and do all the right things, and sometimes it doesn't work out. So I've definitely gotten lucky. I would say, you know, I think it was one of the first owners' meetings I went to, which, you know, if people are familiar with, the coaches have their breakfasts, and you just have owners and GMs walking around. It's at a nice resort in Arizona or Florida, and I do remember, I think there was a time just sitting out there, and it's, um, you know, a beautiful day, a place where, you know, I would not be staying <laughs> or even be allowed into otherwise. And I thought, wow, I, you know, kind of getting paid for this as my job, that's pretty cool. That's great. Love ending on a good story like that. So, Shiel Kapadia, NFL writer for The Athletic, thanks for joining us here on Expected Value. Thanks for having me. Back in the True Media Studios, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks again to Shiel Kapadia for joining us on the show. Follow him on Twitter at Shiel Kapadia, S-H-E-I-L-K-A-P-A-D-I-A. -A -A. Read his work on The Athletic, including his recent piece on the top 100 NFL free agents and his reaction to all of the NFL free agent news. I'm joined now by True Media's Albert Larcata, who was also at the Combine last month, and he leads our efforts in working with The Athletic. Albert, welcome. What did you take away from the conversation with Shiel? Yeah, so I think the most interesting thing was his comment about uh, something like 15 years ago, he started manually charting, I think it was snap counts, and then kind of grew from there into more things. Yeah, I I'm pretty sure Mike Sando, his colleague at The Athletic, said more or less the same thing when we had him on a couple months ago. So it's, it's just sort of funny that 
you know, these more quantitative writers, <laughs> A, how much easier their life is now with all the data and product and everything they have access to, but just sort of their curiosity is they've, they've in effect, always been into this and we're just waiting for, you know, easier ways to help them tell these stories. And yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of funny how they, they've been doing this for a long time, even if you couldn't see it, because now they can just sort of blurt out a lot more data and stats than they could have in the past because of how available it is to them. Yeah, it is amazing how much stuff changes so quickly. I mean, those last 15 or so years, I mean, similar time frame. like I was in college and I remember college soccer team were tracking like number of passes you string together. Like that's the closest thing you could get to analytics then. And then after that, I'm covering high school and college basketball and other sports. And yeah, you just got to manually track stats. And now you go to a, you know, major or just almost any division one college basketball game. You've got, there's an iPad there with more advanced stats and traditional stats than you could uh, possibly track on your own. So it's crazy how much it, it, things have changed in 10, 20 years. And what you said is, is key. I think it speaks to the inquisitive nature of the people who were doing stuff like this originally kind of on their own, just out of necessity or curiosity. And those are the kinds of, I don't know, minds that lead to the good quantitative journalism, analytical journalism, or just, just working numbers into stories that I know I like to read. You like to read guys like Sando and Shiel and so many others. Uh, that's the interesting stuff. And it's interesting to see where that comes from, from those guys going back a couple of decades. Yeah. And related to that, I, I think Sando mentioned this, what, um, in one way, it's nice that there's, you know, all this access information and product and all that, but you actually do learn some things via manual charting that right. you almost just gloss over if you don't do that. Uh, it's laborious and it's not fun and you know it's sort of not efficient way, especially if you're trying to put out three or four articles a week. But certainly when you do that in the, whatever the old school way, you do pick up on things. You do mm -hmm. learn things. I, I've, I've seen articles on coaching staffs in the NFL doing the same thing where yeah, you know, you have PFF charts every play and you have access to that data, but still like getting into it and actually tagging the personnel, the formation, yeah. the role of this guy, the, you know, route combination, all that kind of stuff manually. Do you sort of pick up on things that otherwise looking at aggregated data, you, you wouldn't. So there's still value in that. Yep. It's not not the recommended way to make decisions, right. but there's certainly a uh, there's certainly value in it. Yeah, as much as the analytics and numbers save you time, there's there's still some use. I remember one of my last years at ESPN, uh, I was had to plot all of Trey Young's three pointers because we were going to make a shot chart out of them. We didn't have an easy way to get them uh, into our graphics. Just watching those, you you pick up on stuff like that, like oh, you know, he's drifting this way a lot, or there's never a man in his face, or how many are off ball screens. And just even if you don't have the hard numbers, you get a, a sense for how stuff works, and that's uh, pretty useful. The other right. thing I kind of took away. This was kind of the analytics story of the NFL season from a big picture, and that was just the success of the Ravens and John Harbaugh. Uh, and Shiel had an article that I'll link to in the show notes talking about it. And Harbaugh is just really good. First of all, he's a good coach. And I think everyone thought that before uh, the last year or two when the analytics kind of uh, exploded for the Ravens. Uh, so first of all, he's a good coach, and he's just really good at explaining stuff. You know, he's not trying to keep state secrets like he knows these things are going to get out sooner or later so i think it was after the chiefs game this press conference he was just explaining you know we went for two a lot we went for it on fourth down a lot because we knew we were gonna have to score a lot of points to to try and beat the chiefs and he talks about how he's not a numbers guy but he's willing to learn and take this take the numbers into account combine that with his football intuition 
And so we saw it play out. That's, of course, not why they were the one seed and all that. It's not why they lost in the playoffs either. Uh, but it's an element of the Ravens' success, and I suspect we'll see a lot more teams inching that direction over the next couple of years. For sure. All right, that'll wrap things up for episode 21 of Expected Value. My thanks again to Shiel Kapadia, NFL writer for The Athletic, for joining us on the show. If you like this episode, I encourage you to check out the conversation with Mike Sando and other of The Athletic's NFL writers. Talk to him back in January. And if you missed our previous show with this year's Big Data Bowl winners or with the NFL's director of analytics, Mike Lopez, those are also in the archives. Please continue doing all the things that make podcasters happy. Subscribe, rate, review the show wherever you listen. Spread the word however you can. Give us a follow. Hit us up on Twitter if you have questions or guest suggestions at True Media Sports or email us expectedvalue at truemedianetworks.com. Next week, we're planning to start a series of shows that I don't want to jinx just yet in case it falls through for whatever reason, but stay tuned. I think you will find them pretty interesting. For now, on behalf of Albert Larcata, everyone at True Media, I'm Paul Carr. Thanks for listening to Expected Value, the podcast that takes you inside the sports analytics world. Thank you.